Corners have been a pillar of NFL rosters for a very long time. Paying them is getting harder and harder every single year. Should they do it? Should Jair Alexander be the example of how you do it? And did he live up to everything that he was in the pre-draft process? We're going to take a look at him, how you build teams, how you build your defense. What can your secondary do for you today on Locked On NFL Draft? Let's go. Let's go. You are Locked On NFL Draft, your daily podcast covering the NFL Draft. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On NFL Draft Show. I am your host, former NFL and NFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Tracy. And we want to thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Today, we got some good stuff going, man. We want to get into the cornerback position, pass rush versus coverage. How should you build your defense inside out? How it pertains to guys that are getting drafted in the first round at the defensive back position? All that and more. But again, with the big news, we got to start with the Green Bay Packers cornerback, Jair Alexander, guy who was drafted in the first round, middle of the first round out of Missouri. I believe he was, what, the 16th pick in the draft? That's going off of. uh, I believe he was 18 and he was out of Louisville. Okay. Out of Louisville. Where did I say he was out of? Missouri. I said Louisville. I said Missouri? Yeah. Just a second ago, I, I swear. From. I was right here. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I have no idea where that came from. All right, but out of Louisville. All right, I must have been looking at something. But Jared Alexander, out of Louisville, not Memphis. I, don't, I have no idea where Memphis came from. All right, but this guy, he's pretty intriguing. Because, one, he's an undersized guy, 5'10", 196 pounds, but he definitely was a speedster coming out of Louisville, not Memphis. All right, just signs a huge contract. Four years, $84 million contract, all right? Got a $30 million signing bonus. That's awesome. Big payday. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people shy away from the cornerbacks that aren't that big. And, you know, sometimes they, whether he's dealing with injuries and whatnot, I think you could deal with injuries at any size. He was dealing with injuries, if I remember correctly, either his last year of college or the year before that. I think there was some injury kind of concerns there. And then you look at last season in the NFL, a little bit of an injury plague season, and they drafted uh, Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Got the right college there. Well done. They drafted Eric Eric Stokes out of Georgia, all right? But that got a lot of people in Green Bay thinking, should they re-sign him? And I thought that was crazy, right? I'm on talking to Packers hosts, and they're like, well, would you sign a guy like Jair Alexander, or would you try to trade him away on a fifth-year option where you got a cornerback play, and I should look at the name right now, but opposite of Eric Stokes last year while Jair Alexander was out, they got good cornerback play from a guy that got off of a practice squad. All right, so it's, okay, should you pay Jair big money? And my answer is yes, you do pay him big money because there aren't a lot of cornerbacks in the NFL that have the ability to do what he does. He can guard any type of receiver, whether he's playing off, whether he's playing press. Uh, It doesn't matter if he's in a slot or outside. I mean, there's games that jump to my mind immediately. Him going up against Brandon Cooks, who I think is the most underrated uh, receiver in the NFL, where he's following him. This was when Cooks was with the L.A. Rams. But Mm -hmm. Slot, outside, vertical routes, underneath, 
He does it all. And he's consistently been able to do that throughout his entire career. So a guy that is that dynamic at the cornerback position, you can put so much responsibility on him to shadow guys and still get that big play. I think that's 100% a guy that you draft high and you pay. And I think he's been everything that they wanted to see from him with the capital that they spent on him. But what do you think about, one, just the contract, and two, kind of signing uh, cornerbacks to these huge contracts? You know, A, I agree with you. You got to draft them high. You got to keep them in house. You put that that impetus into it when you drafted him. And I don't know about you. I had him third on my board uh, behind Denzel Ward and uh, and Joshua Jackson out of Iowa. Actually, so I had him number two. I had Denzel. Yeah. I had Denzel Ward and then Jair Alexander. And then okay. I had. Don't crush me before this, but I had Isaiah Oliver, who has mm. not worked I had out him for fourth. Atlanta. No, and then I had um, going back. Uh, some combination of Mike Hughes and Jackson that went to the Panthers. Yeah, I had uh, Carlton Davis above both of them, but I'm with you. Those were my three second round guys. So yeah. we're on the same page. And that investment of that quality of a draft pick means that unless there's something really wrong, I think you have to look at re-signing any corner that you draft in the first round. That's that's a no-brainer to me. And when you take a look at how productive he was, and we'll talk about how we got there in a minute, but fourth – Incompletion percentage allowed in the league, even though he's undersized. And even though he's had a couple of injuries, including last season, which I think the only hesitation must have been last season with the, the injury that kept him out for so many games. But he also took the ball away. His hawk rate was number four in the league, meaning that he got his hands for PBUs and interceptions at a rate number four versus how many times he was targeted across the league. You can't buy that. That, that doesn't grow on trees. You have to Draft a guy that you like that has the physical tools, and he did test well. You're right. But you got to put him in the right scheme and bring him up and invest in him and help him become that kind of player. You can't let him walk at that point. It doesn't matter. I mean, wide receivers are getting 25 a year, 30 a year if you're Tyreek Hill. you got to have something to match up with them. It's imperative to have a corner. It's it's a luxury in this league to have a corner that you think is worth paying that. And when you do, you got to do it. It is not a question. Well, one thing we know for sure, Green Bay, Bay, they're not putting a premium on his interception total because he has five throughout his career in four seasons. Now, you say four seasons, but last season he only played in four games and then kind of played sparingly in the playoffs. So, again, that had a lot to do with injuries. He has missed some time early in his career. Look at his rookie season, 2018. He played in 13 games. Yep. All right. Uh, 2019 was the only season he played a full year. And then 2020, will, he played 15, but did he sit because maybe they had everything kind of sewed up? up? Right. And that yeah. and that's the thing. And unfortunately, that's a little deceptive because, yes, it's only five interceptions, but he had one his rookie year. He had two his sophomore year. He had three in 2020, which was the peak. And without the injury, probably would have matched or surpassed that as well. PBUs started off at what, like four? No, six, I'm sorry, as a rookie. 14 year two. 14 again, year three. If it wasn't for the injury, you got to project that he's going to be close to that too. So yes, it's not grand totals. It's not like, you know, unearthly Marcus Peters type numbers in terms of interceptions and PBUs, but it's growing steadily and you're keeping completions away. You're under 45% allowed. It's That's ridiculously good. You can't, you have to project a little bit. And if it isn't for the injury, 
I think that's the only hesitation that I would ever have about that. And like you said, it was a little bit in, in this uh, rookie year as well. No, I do have a question that I want to ask when we come back. That question, I'm going to give you some time to think about it. Does a guy like Jair Alexander kind of maybe change the way cornerbacks should be viewed? Because right now, a big emphasis is on height, length. All that. Jair Alexander isn't quite that, but still a premium at his position, getting paid for the highest paid guys uh, per year. So we're going to get to that and more when we come back next. Our partners over at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. All right, BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and much more. Head over right now to our website today and use the mobile device to learn more about the trends and action going on at BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Ryan. So I kind of asked you this question. Hopefully you had a little bit of time to think (laughs) about it. But the question is, again, not a big guy. Right. So why do people get so enamored with size when there are so many examples of guys that aren't the biggest at the position but playing well? Matter of fact, two of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league now that came from that same class are, what, 5'10", barely 5'11", when it comes to Denzel Ward, undersized, but – you know, clearly when you see what they've had to pay those guys, the size shouldn't matter as much. Right. But still, everyone every year puts a huge emphasis on it when it comes to scouting cornerbacks. Well, for me, it's a, it's about production at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how you get there. It's about what you do and what you produce. But but you know why people do it. What, what's your arms measuring at there, buddy? 32. Yeah, right? So you have the length. And, and that makes GMs and front office peel, people feel comfortable. That, okay, if you don't have the hips or you don't have the flat-out speed, that as long as you can stay in phase enough that you have the length to control that receiver and, and try to take the ball away. That's what I think the impetus is. But when you take a look at Alexander, he he's not much shorter than you. He came in at, what, 31 and a quarter in his arm length. But the key for me is he can stick with somebody. He can mirror. That's always been his thing. The key is not just the three-cone, which was great at, at three six seven, but when you look at his change of direction – also start and stop, especially when he has to play in the slot sometimes, predominantly outside uh, in 2020, but he can do a little bit of it all. He was a sub-four short shuttle guy, and that means he can stop and start on a dime. At the end of the day, that's how you stay close. So for me, if you if you want to emphasize length, I get that, but there's going to be the exceptions. There's going to be the other guys that don't have the length, but they have the exceptional traits like speed and change of direction that allow them to stick with receivers. And I think you can you can compare apples to oranges but they both feed you in the end. So I think there's too much emphasis placed on length. And I was going to ask that. Do, so you talked about the exception. And do you think that some of these teams, because a guy might not have 32-inch arm length, like I think it was Seattle, where it was like, if you didn't have 32-inch arm length, and maybe they could say because of their scheme and whatnot, but if you didn't have the, that arm length, they just weren't – They were you were off of their board. Yeah. Now, if you look at some of their cornerbacks that they've had now, especially with like – DJ Reed, who was able mm. to play on the outside there. Maybe they've changed your scheme up a little bit. But I he he was a shorter corner. I'd have to look and see what his arm length was. But at 5'9", I have a hard time thinking he just has these extraordinarily long arms. I know you could probably find it right that here. in your 
All right. 32 and 5 eighths. No way. I'm sorry, 31, 31 and 5 eighths. 31 and 5 eighths. Well, that's, that's, that's still long. For a guy, and how yeah. how tall do you have him measured? Uh, I have him at 5'9", 5091. All right. So he's barely 5'9", but he had really long arms. So maybe that's where, you know, Seattle was like, well, we don't have to draft him, but we know he can play. So, but do you think when you are a team that cuts out, uh, you know, maybe someone that could potentially be the exception, like let's say uh, Devontae Adams, I mean, excuse Mm -hmm. me, Devontae Smith. That was a big question about Devontae Smith coming out. There's never been a guy that's six foot one, but under 170 pounds that has been successful. Now they, they, they got very specific there because there's guys like Marvin Harrison or like Isaac Bruce. That's like, you know, maybe a shade under six foot, but they are as light or like a Deshaun Jackson, who's a little bit over 5'10", but he weighed under 170, but it excludes those guys. So uh, sometimes the analytics, do you think they kind of cut out guys that could potentially be the exception? I I think they do, depending on where you put the thresholds. Every team puts that threshold somewhere else. You know, I, I think this year's version of it also got selected in the first round. Down at like 21, somebody we might know. Trent McDuffie is the same height. He has shorter arms than Jair Alexander. Runs nearly the same 40, and his change of direction, though we don't have official results, I have I have some birds that let me know what he what he ran in, in practice. And he's right in that same range. So you, you see it consistent that if you have A, instincts, you understand passing route schemes, that you can see them coming, and you have the athleticism, this is another ex- exception, just like Alexander, where the length isn't, the top thing now there's always a, a risk there there's going to be some concern for Trent McDuffie as there was for Jay Alexander but Alexander gives you the path forward you know use your athleticism emphasize that and I think that's what's bringing some teams down in their thresholds the Chiefs in selecting him went way below their normal 31 which is generally their cutoff so I think maybe it's scheme but for the Hawks coming down now the Chiefs are coming down I think there's other teams that Quite frankly, some a corner with 32-inch arms, you are a rare breed, my friend. You guys don't grow on trees. So you got to do something. You know, you can't find those guys every year. And, and my pushback on that would be, okay, I was 6'2". Uh, let's say I'm 6'2", I'm a legit 6'1". But okay, I'm 6'1", with 32-inch arm length. Uh, okay, like Jair Alexander still covers better than me. So shouldn't <laughs> that be what their priority is, to find guys that cover extremely well? But for whatever reason, every time the evaluation process starts on cornerbacks, first thing people go to is how tall is he? How long are his arms? That's going to be this thing that comes with uh, Roger McCrary. Now, the more concerning thing with McCrary, more so than you know him being 5'11 or 186 pounds with the extremely short arms, at the combine he ran a 4.55. Like, that's what should be concerning. Not that he had sub-30 sub inch arms. Now, there might be something to that because the analytics, again, when you look at that, cornerbacks with like sub 30 inch arms, there's fair well. they don't fare well. I and, and I don't know why. I don't know why. We're gonna try to get to the bottom of that. And not just that, we're gonna talk about how should you build your team? Pa- coverage or pass rush? What's more important? When building that defense, we're going to get to all that next. And we definitely want to talk to you a little bit about our friends over at rockauto.com. 
rockauto.com. And this episode is definitely brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models and now the impossible to for your local change auto parts store to stock all the parts that your car needs. Why endure often and pointless, seamless, intimidating questioning about the vehicle that you have and wait for the person behind the counter to order the parts on their computer choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So use them. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low, and they're for every customer. They have everything that you can need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and they even have new carpet. All right, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. I want to look and see has there been a trend of maybe people going away from the cornerback position as opposed to edge rusher? But over the last two years, you've had Four corners taken in the top 10 mm-hmm. and legit guys, JC Horn, Patrick Satan. Uh, and then this past season, you had Sauce Gardner and what well, am I believing on the other one? Derek Stingley Jr. And matter of fact, shoot, you can go the year before that too. There were two corners right. taken in the top 10 with CJ Henderson and Jeffrey Okuda. And do you think that teams are wrong to draft cornerbacks so high? When in such a difficult position, like is it a position that's a little bit harder to kind of live up to what is expe- expected of them? I, you know, watch a lot of games and I see cornerbacks. It's just a hard position to play. You're going to get beat at some yeah. point for the most part. And fans see that they get frustrated. They get disgruntled. They want this guy out. Oh, he got called for a flag. Knowing that you're going to deal with some version of that. Should you still mm-hmm. draft corners high? It, it makes me back off a little bit unless he's exceptional because, like you said, it's a difficult, difficult position. And it's it's an even harder transition than it used to be being good in college to going and being good in the NFL because of the rules, because wide receivers get away with everything that they want and DBs don't get away with anything. It's it's the flag situation. It's being able, again, another reason to go away from arm length is it's about staying in phase. It's about being athletic enough to track with what's going on. But let's face it as well. There's also coordinators out there that are using floods, using trip sets, using things that take away what an individual DB, his strength might be. And because you're flooding a zone and the scheme is attacking an area where he might not be the weakest link, but because there are other, you know, two, three other DBs in that half of the field, counting safety help, who's he going to take? You can manufacture misses from those guys based on your scheme. And so then you get into what's happening now where teams like those that are, are emphasizing the safety position so they keep everything in front of them so that you don't make the investment in the corners because it's just so hard to make that transition. And when the scheme is actually defeating you, even if you have a guy that has the potential to be a shutdown corner, then it makes you want to look at the top over and come back down. But I do think it's all a pendulum. If you have somebody that can stay, no matter what, in phase, in man, and can jump routes effectively in zone, 
you got to take him. And it doesn't matter if it's at two or 20, you got to go get those guys. Yeah. And let's take a look at some of the guys that were taken this year and what's going to be expected of those guys. So you look at, you know, we talk about two guys taken in the top five with Sauce Gardner mm-hmm. and Derek Stingley. With Derek Stingley, third overall pick going to Houston Texans, what's going to be asked of him? And, and how do you live up to your draft slot? Do you have to be a Jalen Ramsey type cornerback right away? And even, I mean, shoot, we watched Jalen Ramsey in the division around playoffs get torched by Mike Evans. Yep. We watched Jalen Ramsey. Uh, there was a game prior to that where it was like, it, it didn't look good, right? So even a guy like Ramsey, who I, he's my favorite cornerback to watch and, and see how he plays. But even he has his ups and downs. So mm-hmm. the moment Stingley has ups and downs at the cornerback position, which will come, will people start to kind of jump off the bandwagon a little bit? Yep. They absolutely will. That's the way it works. Hopefully the front offices don't and the coaching staffs don't because they're in the trenches and they understand that it's a process, right? Same thing happened this year. James Bradbury had an an exceptional year affecting passes, taking the ball away in 2020. This year, he got let go for nothing. It's, It's all circumstantial. And at the end of the day, it's about the front office and the coaching staff that believes in you that you're going to get thrown at X number of times and you're going to win more than you lose. The San Francisco 49ers, a team that I cover, a team that I root for, they've actually kind of gone in this different direction. And I don't think it's on purpose. I think it's just kind of more circumstantial. But Mm -hmm. either way, they've been able to get by with cornerbacks that were either drafted third round or later, except for Richard Sherman coming off of an Achilles injury. They were able to sign him in free agency. But last season, I'd say most people couldn't name 49ers cornerbacks, like most casual fans. You'd be like, who, Emmanuel Mosley, like, who is that? Well, he had one of the better seasons out of any cornerback, like from an analytical standpoint. Gave up zero touchdowns, yards per target, all that stuff was them. Also, they had a rookie, a really kind of up and down play. I mean, they had Josh Norman out there, right? It wasn't pretty with Josh Norman. He was getting attacked. Guys were throwing at him. Wasn't pretty. But even then, they were able to still have a top six defense. So, do you think at some point teams might say, you know what, we see some of these teams getting by with not the big-time prospects, with guys that are either undrafted or mid-to-late-round picks at the cornerback position? You know, where was Travis Ward? Where was he drafted? He wasn't. He was a UDFA out of Dallas that got traded for. Wow. In fact, so, every starter for Kansas City last year was a fourth-round pick or lower. Now, how did that affect – the defense overall in the sense of like the results past completion percentage w- was up. I'll give you that. But because they had Tyron Matthew over the top and one Thornhill over the top, that's not what beat them. That's not what caused them to lose games. But Jerry seems the best corner on that roster. He was a fourth round pick. He's likely to be the CB one this season, even with a first round pick and Trent McDuffie coming in. And by the way, they all beat out two former number ones in Mike Hughes and Deandre Baker, former number ones that just, couldn't put it all together. And so uh, that takes me back again to it's not just the skill set you have. It's what you're asked to do and how do you fit in the scheme and what does your staff do to maximize your potential rather than expose your flaws. So you have the 49ers who end up picking up Traverius Ward. They have mm-hmm. their two starting corners heading into this year who on paper are good corners, both undrafted free agents. Now, really, again, I'm I'm not saying that that's the direction everyone should go, but 
does that mean that maybe people should put a little bit more emphasis on the front? We're having guys like Chris Jones or Frank Clark and then going out and drafting it was uh, George Karloftis. Right. You know, for, for Kansas City Chiefs. So yeah. should teams start to, you know, prioritize that more? Now, again, I, we, I say all that in Kansas City went and took a cornerback first round. Right, so, right, right. Okay. Next, they took the pass rusher though. So, like, it's it's both. And that's why I'm going to cop out and say it can't be one or the other. It's got to be both. You've got to get pressure yeah. too. I think this is a conversation that's not going anywhere. We're going to continue to find <laughs> out what what is the right way. Is it worth it to draft guys really high? I think at the end of the day, no matter where you draft a guy, it could be a bust. No matter what position, where. But again, seeing a lot of play late, guys are undrafted late round picks and they're out there and they're being serviceable. And as long as they have a pass rush, they're good. So last question here, do you prioritize pass rush or coverage? I prioritize dominance. If you, if you no, are better, no, 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 seriously. Cop out. no, it's, it's not a cop out. Who's better. Like in this draft for the chiefs, they did the right thing. They took McDuffie because he's better at stopping passes at the back end. than Carl left is at hitting the quarterback on the front end. Who, okay. If you, however, you can play the game better. Take that guy, right? And we've seen that with uh, maybe New England Patriots, right? Where clearly they have prioritized more coverage than pass rush. Yeah. So I feel like this is a conversation that's not going anywhere. We're going to continue to have this conversation and figure it out as long as well as you know cover a lot of these prospects coming out, cornerbacks. I can't wait to dive into the cornerback class for next season and pass rushers as well. All right, but. We want to thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Again, for your second listen of the day, go ahead and check out my guy Ryan Tracy with Locked On Chiefs and check out Locked On 49ers with myself and my co-host Brian Peacock, who's also the host of the Peacock and Williamson Show. So check out all those good things and plenty of other shows that we have on the Locked On Network. But that's going to do it for today's show. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Peace.